friends, and welcome to Booklist Shelf Care, the podcast, where we talk all things reader's advisory, collection development, and reference right into your ears. I'm Susan McGuire, Senior Editor for Collection Management and Library Outreach at Booklist, and I'm here to guide you through whatever book or library-adjacent topics catch my fancy or the fancy of the world at large. On this episode, we're going to get a little graphic. Not like literally graphic. I just really wanted to make a pun, and the word graphic applies in different ways to the two topics we discuss, so I thought, let me go for the joke instead of sense. The first kind of graphic is the violent murdery kind of graphic, often found in a nonfiction genre that is truly having a moment, true crime. I talked to Kathy Sexton from the Skokie Public Library about helping patrons satisfy their morbid curiosity, and then Booklist audio editor Heather Booth offers some excellent audiobooks you can use to connect with true crime podcast listeners. Then it's the other kind of graphic, graphic novels. See how funny that was? I talked to Booklist's Books for Youth editor Sarah Hunter about a book she's reading and loving, and then we talk about July, which is a month. More specifically, it is the first ever Booklist Graphic Novels and Libraries Month, and Sarah and I talk about what that means and how you can get involved. Now listen, there are a lot of books discussed in this episode, but please do not panic. Please, I'm begging you. As always, the show notes include all of these titles mentioned, and you can find those show notes at booklistonline.com shelf hyphen care. Get ready for July, aka Booklist's Graphic Novels and Libraries Month, which celebrates all the ways libraries have embraced graphic novels, while providing librarians with the tools they need to select, curate, and promote graphic titles for patrons of all ages. The program kicks off at the ALA's annual conference in Washington, D.C., June 20th to 25th, with author-illustrator panels and a meet-and-greet in the Booklist booth on the exhibit floor. Can't make it to ALA? Don't worry! Booklist's blockbuster July issue, Spotlight on Graphic Novels, will include a 32-page supplement offering professional resources for librarians curating and promoting graphic novel and comics collections. That's just the start of a month chock-full of exciting offerings. Throughout July, follow along on Twitter with the hashtag ReadGraphic and join in the conversation about how important graphic novels and comics are to your community. That's Booklist's Graphic Novels and Libraries Month, and that's coming up in July. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably a fan of podcasts. And if you're a fan of podcasts, you're probably aware of the medium's hottest trend, murder. I said it like that for effect. True crime podcasts really run the gamut from multi-episode in-depth original investigations like Serial or Crime Town to the narratively unique comedy of My Favorite Murder or The Last Podcast on the Left. Truly for every possible tone and storytelling style, for every imaginable angle of approach or level of detail, there is a true crime podcast that will fit the bill. It turns out, the same thing is true of true crime books. And not to be a jerk about it, but books have been around way longer. Okay? For more about what's so appealing about true crime, I talked to Kathy Sexton, Supervisor of Advisory Services at the Skokie Public Library in Illinois. Kathy reviews true crime for Booklist, and she and I talked about how she got interested in it, what appeals to her about the genre, and how she helps patrons get their true crime on both directly and indirectly. Wait, directly meaning like in conversation, not like how she helps patrons do crimes. Okay, anyway, just listen to the interview. 
right, Kathy, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Susan. So excited in Booklist HQ. Yes. Where the magic happens. It looks very magical in here, I have to tell you. <laughs> yes, people can't even imagine. Guys, we have a whole herd of unicorns. <laughs> There's like secret doors. Mm-hmm. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, and that, let's try to make that a transition into talking about true crime somehow. Uh, I don't know about that. We just did it. We just did it. So you are a true crime advisor, but also a true crime reader. So I I wanted to kind of start with your personal journey. So how did you become interested in true crime? Sure. So I would say I started reading true crime relatively recently Mm -hmm. in my, like, reading history. Um, and I am not like an Anne Rule reader, which yeah. I think is the person everyone thinks of when yeah. they think of true crime. Um, so I started thinking about this a lot, actually, because I wasn't sure. And one of the things I realized is that I used to read Dominic Dunn's um, yes. Vanity Fair. <laughs> yeah, his column. And it was all like celebrity true crime. Mm-hmm. It read a little more gossipy. But, oh, but that's yeah, so I, and I think that might have been one of the first sort of ins for me was reading that and then I I started reading things that I wouldn't have called true crime at the time like Under the Banner of Heaven by John Mm -hmm. Krakauer even Devil in the White City like I don't think I thought of that as true crime I thought of it more as like history History, yeah Um, but it really is so and then I just kind of evolved and started reading more and more and of course finally read in um, Cold Blood, mm-hmm. which I had never read. The, the and, Godfather. Yes, of the genre. and I mean it really is amazing. There's yeah. a reason it's the Godfather of the genre. Right, <laughs> right. So, what do you think you like about it? I mean, what draws you to it? Right. So sometimes I feel weird about liking it, because, <laughs> and I think that's probably true Don't for judge. a lot of Don't people. Don't judge reading yeah. taste. I'll, I'll only own. judge my own. <laughs> um, but it does feel a little strange to be like, so oh, I loved this book about this grisly, awful thing. Yeah. Um, but I also think for me, it's sort of trying to understand, like, why do these grisly, awful things happen? And as I've talked to a lot of readers of True Crime, which are a lot of women. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That's true, though. Absolutely. I, th- I, I would guess they are the majority readers, especially nowadays. Right. Um, I know murderinos are yeah, mostly I mean, women. Right. And I feel like they have my favorite murder, they connect it with like feminism and women's totally. issues all the time. And women are often the victims right. of crime, too. And so I do think there's kind of this, if I can understand, maybe I can protect myself <laughs> a little bit, too. Yeah. Um, That's kind of sad. It is kind of but, sad. But honestly, I do think there's a piece of that. But for me, I really think it's about just trying to understand how somebody ends up being a serial killer or like, right. yeah, I'm just fascinated what with What drives it. them to it. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, a lot of people have terrible upbringings and don't murder it, people. Exactly. Exactly. But the amount of murderers or even just serious criminals who do mm-hmm. have terrible upbringings is also fascinating, I yeah. think. Although I'm I'm listening to um, Bad Blood about Elizabeth yeah. Holmes. It, so that's, she's not a murderer. No. I mean. Uh, but it's still crime. <laughs> yeah. But she had seems to have had like a really lovely suburban upbringing. Yeah. And anyway, who knows why. Exactly. And I think that's the endless fascination a little right. bit too. Well, and I mean, so that, I um, don't read a ton of true crime, but I like mysteries. 
that are not scary. Uh-huh. And I think the thing I like about mysteries is that they're so character driven. And I mean, do you feel like true crime is always character driven also? I mean, that's what I'm thinking about. Bad blood is like, yeah. it's not just Elizabeth Holmes. It's like all of these people who are like, why did you think you could get away with this? Like what yes. in your internal workings make you think this? I think I would agree with that for the most part, that it is very character driven, whether it's the actual criminal right. being the character. <laughs> but oftentimes it's also the detectives that are the characters mm-hmm. that... Um, so one of the books that I read and loved a while ago that I actually reviewed for Booklist, um, A False Report, that was very much about um, a woman who had been raped and they believed she was lying about it. And they actually... like I just made a face. I know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you should make that face because, right. duh, like, yeah. geez, age-old story. Um, but that book was very much about the difference between women detectives who investigate rape and men detectives who investigate rape and how these two women detectives completely altered kind of like how we deal with the investigation of a rape victim. Um, And so it was very much about those detectives couched within a larger picture of how we treat rape in the United States still, still to this day. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say yes, very much character driven. And, but I think that that also kind of leads into um, or not leads into, but, you know, you talked about Anne Rule as kind of, mm-hmm. you know, you just, you threw her name out. But yeah. she is sort of oh, yeah. the, the writer that people go to. But it seems like she is strictly focused on the crime. And maybe Dominic Dunn is also, yeah like, the salacious deliciousness of the crime, yes. but, like, also the crime. But it seems like you might like true crime books that say something larger. I would absolutely Maybe. agree with that. And I think as a whole, the genre is moving away a little bit from the salaciousness, as you so aptly put yeah. it, um, <laughs> only because it's kind of gross. Like, that's that's kind of icky to focus on that and sort of turn it into this, like, oh, like train wreck to stare at, you know, and yeah. it's a little more about the victims. There's a lot more about social justice, I feel like, Mm -hmm. and the sort of emerging trend that I've been seeing that I really enjoy is sort of this mashup of memoir and true crime. And I'm also a huge memoir reader, so it's right up my alley. Um, And like I think Michelle McNamara's book, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, that definitely was that. It was this weird mashup because so much of it was about her personal obsession yeah with trying to find out who the golden state killer was that book was very scary for me <laughs> absolutely terrifying totally but terrifying you're right it, it was sort of two stories in one mm-hmm. in a way that really worked yeah so what about when you're talking to patrons like is this something that you've like newly been talking to patrons about as sort of true crime media has exploded? I would say that's true. I think there's always been an interest in true crime, but Mm -hmm. as I mentioned, like even when I started reading it, I wouldn't have necessarily called it that. I think it's because it wasn't a common term 20 years ago, you know? Um, But now it's like tons of shows and podcasts and all this stuff. So yes, I'd say we're seeing more. We just did a display in our library not that long ago, true crime, and it just flew. It went like crazy. Um, So I definitely feel like I've been doing more reader's advisory, whether it's passive or not. Right. So so what 
what is that conversation like when you have a conversation? Yeah. Do people come up and they know the words or like what kind of questions do you have to ask to get at what they really want? I think they generally know that <clears throat> they want true crime mm-hmm. and they know to call it that because, again, that's pretty yeah. much in the vernacular now. So um, but I think the really hard part about true crime is there's some that's, you know, not nearly as terrifying. Right. And there's also some that's very, very grisly. Mm-hmm. And even if it doesn't s- sensationalize it, it's still awful, like what somebody did. And there's still some detail in there. So you kind of have to parse out, like, are you okay with reading about rape? Are you okay yeah. with reading about, like, really awful murder? Or are you looking more for, like, the woman whose husband was a total psychopath and like con artist, yeah. which is also great. Um, I love but a con artist story. It, absolutely. However, that's very different than um, like reading that book, A False Report, that right. is basically all about rape and did not at all sensationalize. It's very journalistic, but it still it's had still to. Horrible. Absolutely. And that might be a trigger for people who want to read true crime. Yeah. Um, yeah. How, how do you think people can, you know, like a librarian who doesn't read it, how could they tell? Is there, like, do, have publishers put, like, clues on the covers, you know, like they do with other um, genres? That's a really good question. I don't I don't know if that's true or not. I mean, yeah. I think if you're reading about a serial killer, you immediately know this is probably going to be grisly. Right. And Flip some, through their crime scene photos. Absolutely. Some oh, shape or form. Um, I think you basically are looking for... Anything that's, like, sexually related, Mm -hmm. I think, is really hard for a lot of people. And that is something that is definitely a trigger for people and you want to be really careful of. And you'll Um, always... I mean, I feel like that will always be clear. Absolutely. From the title or the cover. I totally agree. From the title of the cover, at least, at the very least, the jacket flap. So, I mean, it's going to be in there and it's going to be clear. One of my favorite... um, books of the last couple of years was The Fact of a Body by Alexandria. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I can't remember her whole name. I'm what, sorry. We'll Alexandria. put it in the show notes. Okay. Don't worry. Excellent. <laughs> um, and that was not very grisly, but the man that she's, it's not even investigating. Again, that's a very bizarre memoir, true crime mashup. Mm-hmm. Um, the criminal in it was a child molester and also killer and that's horrifying and if that alone is a thing for you like don't read it it doesn't even matter that all this other great stuff follows that has very little to do with it (laughs) like that's not your book then yeah so stay away that's yeah and you know as soon as you say it you see somebody's face face, like totally change and then you're like okay that's not for you yeah here's one about lizzie borden (laughs) she's a safe one (laughs) i mean and like her cry was totally gruesome but there's something about it being so far away absolutely and and it's also like the details are not that detailed like there's horrible pictures you can find right it's a little different than but it's you know and it's also the investigation of it well so okay this this is a question that we didn't talk about before so sorry but so again relating it back to my love of mysteries like a true crime story is not always resolved at the end yeah does that how do people not go crazy that's not really no but that's i totally agree with this and that is one that's always hard for me actually if it's so when i did read i'll be gone in the dark they had not caught him yet yeah and i 
knew he would be an old man, but it didn't matter. It like terrified me so much more knowing that this person was probably still out there, even though he probably wasn't committing crime or could even be dead. Right. But not having resolution, I think, um, I'll still read it, but I think that is another trigger for some people. And when I have reviewed true crime and also if I was doing advisory for true Mm -hmm. crime, um, I would say that, you know, like, hey, if if you need this to come to a good resolution, this is not for you. Yeah. Yeah. Like like Lizzie Borden and Jack the Ripper and... Right. You know that they're not quite solved. Exactly. And um, I especially think if it's something fairly current where you feel like there's this chance of this person still being out there in any way, (laughs) shape, or form, um, it's just can be absolutely terrifying. And I totally get that because I have that too. Yeah. That's another one that you really do have to manage those expectations and... Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> well, Susan's kind of freaking out a little bit. <laughs> take a nap. Look, I don't have to read it. That's right. I just have you to sure talk don't. about it. That's fine. Yeah. Um, and that's not judgment that on other people who read it. I, one of my first interactions with a patron when I was an intern at the Monroe County Public Library in Bloomington was this guy coming up to the desk who was like, do you have books on serial killers? Not that I'm like a serial killer. And I was like, it's okay, man. Right. Here's 364. I feel like we've fortunately got past. It is 364. Um, We've gotten past that a little bit where it doesn't feel like, oh, you're a weirdo if you read about serial killers or you want to. Or you are a weirdo in very good company. I'll also tell you, I read the graphic novel, um, My Friend Dahmer. Oh, yeah. Which Dahmer is like a real, like, oh, my God, total freak out. People know so much about him because he's fairly recent and fairly local. Mm -hmm. Um, And I read it in a bar, (laughs) sitting at the bar. And I had so many people who were just like, what are you doing? Why would you read such a thing yeah. this is horrifying because like, and... i want to be left alone yeah exactly <laughs> because you should be very afraid of me <laughs> yeah just picking up clues yeah <laughs> no we love true crime readers yeah all right so let's um let's wrap it up by talking about a couple recent yes, faves i would love to yeah um so i have two recent ones that i'm really excited about that are coming out this summer Um, So the first one is called American Predator, The Hunt for the Most Meticulous Serial Killer of the 21st Century by Maureen Callahan. So this book um, is a bit of a misnomer. The Hunt is over by page 60. Okay, Um, good. But that's good to know for me. Yeah. So it's really not about catching this guy whose name was Israel Keys. And this is very recent. This I can't remember the years, but it's within the last 10 years. Um, So... He's caught, like I said, with him by page 60, but the rest is the police interrogation of him and kind of realizing that, oh, hey, this isn't the first time he's done this. And him mm. sort of feeding them these, oh this information. It's, it's terrifying. Yeah. Um, if you're super into things that are about trying to figure out why somebody does what they do and like the mind of a serial killer, this is the book for you. It's so good. He is absolutely scary. Um, he also had like no MO. So, oh my gosh, that's right. The worst. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, he didn't go after certain types of victims or anything. He preyed on small town police departments. It was 
he was just very scary. Um, but the reason I love this is because even though it's not sort of like trying to solve the crime, it still feels incredibly suspenseful and intense the whole time. Yeah. Um, which was great. And I used to watch Criminal Minds. I watched yes. Mindhunter. Um, I didn't read Mindhunter, but I feel like anyone who was into that kind of stuff, like the criminal profiling, would yeah. be super into um, this book. Yeah. And that kind of reminds me like that we are... I mean, and I just did it. Like, making the connection between true crime and mystery is not always the right thing to do. I think that's true. Or the, I mean, the appeals don't match up as nicely as sometimes we think they do. Yeah, I think that is true. If you're into sort of really intense mysteries, mm-hmm. which not all of them are, yeah, that might sway a little closer. Um, and but if the you're suspense in, part of it, too. right? And and if you're into um, procedurals, that might get at it a little bit because yeah. there often is an aspect of police work involved. Um, so a little bit, but yes, there's yeah. definitely something very different. And if you like your scary fiction, not nonfiction, then you know you're definitely not not a reader for true crime. <laughs> <laughs> but aren't we glad? To be able to talk to people like Kathy who can <laughs> help us talk to people. I hope so. I hope I'm not terrifying people out no. here. <laughs> Come talk to me. I yeah. swear I'm not a serial killer. I think everybody is like, finally, <laughs> we found one of ours. Uh, I hope so. Um, and so the other book I want to bring up, too, that's coming out is coming out in August. And it's called Savage Appetites. This one's real different. Dang. So it's Savage also, Appetites. That sounds like the title of like an old school romance. And I love it. Oh, that's amazing. I didn't even <laughs> think about that. Because here, you okay. know. God, the wait. subtitle is Four Stories of Women, Crime, and Obsession. <gasps> Although that could really be a romance title, too, yeah. actually. So by Rachel Monroe. Um, and this one is super different. So it's four different stories uh, of women who have basically become obsessed with a particular crime or crime in general. And sort of the author herself a little bit, who admits readily that she is also obsessed with um, crime and murder. And, yeah. um, and she does talk about that it's a strange like moral thing almost like is this okay that I'm into this where do you draw the line when does it become like a weird voyeurism instead Mm. of you know just being interested in it um so she talks about that and then she talks about these four women that I'm just going to tell you really quickly um so the first one is Frances Glessner Lee who in like the 1950s I'm pretty sure it was she made she was 60 years old and she made miniatures of crime oh, scenes. Yes, I think I've yeah. heard of her. So okay. um, she was trying to get out bias in police work by training them through these miniatures. And she was absolutely fascinating. The fact that she started this, she had been married, had kids, and then all of a sudden she started this like career yeah. and would go to police stations and like do seminars about it. It's super fascinating. And if you ever um, watched... Uh, the miniaturist what was that show that oh my god Isn't yeah that what it's this, called no there was actually um a show that was on forever that's on all the time we'll we'll uh, yeah in the show notes. yeah Not sorry I, i'm sure all of you out there are like screaming this is what it is you silly well there was a plot line of the miniaturist based on her um so that's the first one the next is a woman who was obsessed with the manson murders to the point that she moved into the coach house oh. of the 
of the Sharon Tate house um, and then befriended her younger sister, like super weird. Um, And Laurie Davis, who ended up marrying one of the West Memphis Three, who was in prison at the time. And she so believed in their innocence that she ended up marrying him. But they... They were innocent. Okay. They were but declared still. innocent, but she was married to him for like 18 years or something. And it was more like the, again, this obsession that she right. felt about the crime, about their innocence, about him. Um, it is a romance novel. It is kind of <laughs> a little bit. And then um, the last one was a young woman, high school age, who was very obsessed with the Columbine shootings. With Gosh, that whole, yeah. that's like a whole thing. Thing. And um, part of the reason I really love this book is it was kind of a glimpse into these four different huge, like, historical crimes that have happened that I maybe didn't, you know, I know the rough outline of them, right. but that it kind of gave you this really interesting take on them and the women who were sort of obsessed with them. Yeah. Yeah. So like layers and layers. Yes. Layer. Yeah. So that was great. Again, it was kind of a little bit of that memoir mashup mm-hmm. too, because um, Rachel Monroe kind of inserts herself into it too. Um, and it was great. That but. sounds like a really good a good one for people who like my favorite murder. Like even yes. if it's not funny, it sounds like kind of a similar approach. I would totally agree with that. And if you're somebody who like can't handle the grisly details too much, there's very little of that. Wait, it sounds like a good one for me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so that's kind of a nice entry level, I guess I would say. I like say. it. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah. And that will be good also for librarians who want to learn more, but are delicate like me yeah I had um, a woman who came in the other day to the library who her like 14 year old daughter was super into true crime and wants to read really grisly awful things and the mom was just like I can't handle that right now yeah this book would be great for a 14 year old who like really wants to read about some true crime and like wanted to know about the Manson murders but this is just a little bit of it as opposed to like reading Helter Skelter and scaring the bejesus out of yourself you know yeah she can graduate to that. That's right. Oh, That's right. All right. Well, so we'll have all these books listed in the show notes and maybe some you didn't get to talk about or yeah. and that TV show that we can't think of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we'll think of it as soon as I press stop. Yeah. That'll, well, that's probably what will happen. Thanks for coming by. Yeah. Thanks again for having me. This is great. Cool. Bye. Bye. I'm about to turn things over to Heather Booth, our audio editor. But before I do that, I want to mention that the TV show that neither Kathy nor I could think of uh, during that interview is CSI. CSI. So sorry if y'all are banging your head against the wall. We were talking about CSI. All right, take it away, Heather. Hello, Shelf Awareness listeners. This is Booklist Audiobook Section Editor Heather Booth. I understand there's some disagreement about whether you can recommend mysteries to your true crime readers or listeners. But as a fan of both genres, I'm going to take a stab at it. The true crime podcast explosion is drawing listeners into worlds gritty, curious, complex, and quirky, with a wide range of topics and tones. And these listeners may very well be mystery fans in waiting. This is a fantastic opportunity to extend your audiobook collection to your library's podcast listeners, and include a quickie lesson on all of your library's fabulous digital products and how to use them while you're at it. Here are some of my recent favorite pairings. Podcasts to true crime audiobooks, to mysteries on audio. My Favorite Murder has developed a cultish following for its blend of comedy, ghoulish fascination, and female empowerment focused on championing survivors and investigators. First, remind your murderino listeners 
that the MFM duo has their own audiobook out now, Stay Sexy and Don't Get Murdered, The Definitive Guide. Then point them toward I'll Be Gone in the Dark, One Woman's Obsessive Search for the Golden State Killer by the late Michelle McNamara, who is discussed regularly on the show. Then offer The Cheerleaders, a YA novel in which the main character seeks justice for her late sister and definitely lives by the podcaster's sign-off motto, Stay Sexy and Don't Get Murdered. Each season of Investigation Discovery's detective podcast focuses on the life and work of a single detective. Fans of this deep dive into the motivations and lives of law enforcement will find Danamora, two escaped killers, three weeks of terror, and the largest manhunt ever in New York State to be a satisfying true crime on audio. The author experienced the manhunt not just as the resident of the area, but as a former corrections officer at the facility from which the convicts escaped giving him insider information and plenty of opinions that come through in the dry wit of narrator Yen. Lead fans next to Michael Connolly's recent Dark Sacred Night, which has a similarly weary but passionate series detective in Harry Bosch, voiced by Titus Weiliver of the Bosch Amazon series. Fans of Phoebe Judge's podcast Criminal listen for her NPR-esque tones as she delves into the curiosities of, tr- of crime criminals, and the justice system. Often quirky, sometimes humorous, always unexpected, these listeners will enjoy The Feather Thief, a listen-list title that pulls classical music, fly fishing, and museum specimens together in a remarkable heist. These listeners may appreciate a good old southern amateur sleuth. Try Nancy Martin's Miss Ruffles in Miss Ruffles Inherits Everything, charmingly read by Susie Alphans. Serial is the podcast that kickstarted many listeners' obsessions, and it appeals on a number of levels. Try offering its fans a story with a similar heft, examining the justice system and its intersection with society and human lives, but in another time, with A Tale of Two Murders, Guilt, Innocence, and the Execution of Edith Thompson. Then, for a mystery that's a must-listen, especially for serial fans, pull them back to the 21st century with Sadie, the 2019 Odyssey winner that uses a full cast narration to recreate a true crime podcast feel as a public radio host visits a small town to uncover the truth behind the life and death of another dead girl. Finally, Detective Paul Holes was instrumental in solving the case of the Golden State Killer. Investigative journalist Billy Jensen worked closely with the case as he finished Michelle McNamara's I'll Be Gone in the Dark after her untimely death. Together, they are the Murder Squad, a podcast where they use their investigative skills in social media in hopes of solving the unsolved crimes that have left justice unserved. Fans who appreciate the gritty, in-the-trenches look at investigators will not want to miss The Killer Across the Table by John Douglas and read by Jonathan Groff, who plays a character based on the author in the Netflix series Mindhunter. Send these fans of classic detectives on a search for justice while mired in the psychology of despicable killers back to James Patterson's first Alex Cross novel, Along Came a Spider, newly released this year on audio with a narration by actor Tay Diggs. Thanks for listening. I'd love to hear how these pairings work for you or your patrons. You can find me on Twitter at booklist underscore audio, and you can find more suggested audiobooks for podcast fans in the periodic podcast connection feature in the audiobook section of Booklist Magazine. Hi, I'm Melissa Carr, Marketing Director of Booklist. Want to know more about that sweet spot where a collection development and reader's advisory meet? 
Then join us at the corner, corner shelf that is. This free bi-monthly newsletter covers trends, ideas, and issues in these two areas, helping librarians find the common ground between them. You'll get original writing by and interviews with respected experts, as well as in-the-trenches looks at the new products and what's coming up. All of that in convenient newsletter form. Sign up for Corner Shelf at booklistonline.com backslash newsletters. See you on the corner, the corner of Reader's Advisory and Collection Development. As promised, we're going to switch gears to something a little less graphic and a little more also graphic. Differently graphic. Graphic adjacent? No. Anyway. Here's my conversation with Booklist's Books for Youth editor Sarah Hunter about a graphic novel that she can't stop thinking about and why July is a great time to celebrate graphic novels. Hi, Sarah. Hello. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. So I'm happy for you to come down to the adult books end of the Booklist office. <laughs> we have a very strict separation. But you sort of defy that separation because you cover graphic novels for all ages. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of fun. Yeah, it is. Cool. So I'm going to ask you some more graphic novel questions. But first, I want to talk about what you're reading and loving right now. Okay. So um, the book that I can't stop thinking about, even though I've loved other books since then, is called This Was Our Pact by Ryan Andrews, which is a middle grade graphic novel. Oh. Um, I love everything about it. I love the art style. I love the story. It reminds me of a Miyazaki film. In okay. It's like weird, creepy absurdity. And it's the sort of fantasy story where you know that there's a lot more going on in the world and you just sort of like touch on weird things in it and then move on to another thing. So it's really huge in its scope, but really minute in its moments. And I just love that so much. Um, It's about these two friends. Well, they're not quite friends at the beginning. They're like sort of friends. One friend is worried that he's too cool for his old friend, but they hang out together anyway. A middle school, an evergreen middle school problem. Yes, an evergreen middle school problem. And over the course of their fantastical journey, they... um, sort of realize that they each have strengths and they become better friends and they sort of get over the rocky parts of their relationship before they start on their bike journey, um, which is lovely. So there are all these like really nice grounded moments of like relatable friendship drama um, amidst a story of like following these lanterns down a river and Mm -hmm. meeting a talking bear and like finding their way into a cave with like glow worms that make constellations. That sounds really cool. Really delightful. Yeah. I love it. And I'm looking at the cover that has like kids on bikes, kids on bikes. Yeah. And it it makes me, I mean, I automatically think of stranger things, Mm -hmm. which I mean, I, I imagine a middle schooler that might be a little bit too scary for them to watch. Maybe. So Maybe if they're curious about Stranger Things, look at those pictures. Yeah, I wish this, like I wish could I could show you because there's this great us. this this great lady who's not really a witch, but she's got these gigantic magnifier glasses on, 
like her her pupils are just like huge and she's yeah. tiny but in this gigantic little laboratory where she is busily puttering away and like making potions and stuff and she has a huge dog and the art style i mean i always approach things that are published for youth like with a sort of the ignorance of somebody who only deals with adult books <laughs> and so the art style doesn't stand out to me as something that's like particularly juvenile like yeah. it, it looks like a lot of like things that I've seen published for adults and that, that makes me think it might have age crossover appeal I could I could see an adult reader being completely delighted by this I mean I was I'm 35 oh. <laughs> hello old <laughs> just kidding you're younger than me but still. um anyway it's really good I I really cannot stop thinking about it. And I keep wanting there to be more to the story, like other little adventures um, that these kids go on or the other characters, because there just seems to be so much depth to the world that it's in, which is just so awesome. Do you think that there will be more like sequels or? I don't know. I I asked and they're like, I don't know. Okay. (laughs) KG, but no promises. (laughs) All I'm saying is that if, if Ryan Andrews wanted to make a sequel of this book, I would be first in line to read it. Okay, great. And hopefully some of our listeners will be right behind you. Mm-hmm. So remind me of the title again. It's called This Was Our Pact by Ryan Andrews. Mm-hmm. And when does it come out? Has it come out? Yes, it came out, I think, this week. Uh, oh, it, yeah. So June. as we're recording that, that's mid-June. Yep. Yay. So... While we're talking about graphic novels, while I've got you here, <laughs> I wanted to um, also talk to you about something that we at Booklist have coming up in just a few weeks in July mm-hmm. called Graphic Novels and Libraries Month. Yeah. So why are we doing that? <laughs> to be to be blunt. Um, well, it's a good question um, because it sort of seems like libraries have been doing graphic novels for a long time and we're really just codifying a month for it. We're saying like, this is the month where we will celebrate graphic novels in libraries. But libraries have been doing this work for a really long time and we wanted an opportunity to showcase some of the great stuff that they've been working on um, and really bring attention to how important graphic novels are to library collections, how popular they are with readers, um, and how the field is growing immensely. Um, there's a graphic novel for basically any type of reader, any genre, any topic, nonfiction, fiction, adults, children's, preschoolers. There's something for everyone. And I think a lot of people are coming to recognize that a little bit more widely now, which is really cool to see. Mm-hmm. I like I like the idea of it being a celebration and a showcase rather than sort of instructional. I mm-hmm. think, you know, libraries can learn so much from what what their neighbor libraries are doing, and mm-hmm. I hope we can facilitate some of that. Yeah. And it's a little bit disingenuous for me for you to ask me about it, because right. we've been working on it together <clears throat> for a long time. <laughs> well, thanks for tearing down that fourth wall. <laughs> um, so can you talk about some of the things that only you and not me at all have, <laughs> have planned for July? Uh, sure. So uh, the biggest thing that we put together is a booklist guide to graphic novels and libraries, which is a ride along tour July issue, which has interviews with librarians working in the field, articles written by librarians in the field, um, just to get some professional development tips out there mm-hmm. um, to run along with our publication, which is 
typically exclusively book reviews. Um, we wanted to give librarians a chance to get some really solid advice on how to have graphic novels in the libra their libraries, how to collect them, how to showcase them, how to program around them. Um, and yeah, that, uh, that I think is probably the biggest can... suck up of our time. <laughs> you can cut that part out. Nope. Leaving it in. Uh <laughs> that, yeah. And so Sarah and I worked on that pretty closely together and we had so many great ideas and we were able to include most of them. Mm -hmm. There is the Chris Evans biopic that <laughs> biopic isn't the right word. Um, I'll just leave it in. I'm going to leave this Chris Evans joke in because I should be ashamed of myself, but I'm not. So, uh, I'm really, you know, this is the kind of thing that when I was a librarian, I would, I mean, I guess I'm still a librarian. When I worked in a library, I would see this kind of stuff, see what other libraries were doing and get inspired and get kind of re-energized mm -hmm. to, um, sometimes graphic novels and comics don't exactly fit the mold of what our other collections are doing. So it's not quite a fight, but it is like, this is something different. So all of these stakeholders are going to have to be on board with this different thing. And so I th I'm hoping that Graphic Novels and Libraries Month will give people energy and excitement to kind of keep on pushing for this really yeah. cool format for all ages. You know, not, I think uh, a lot of times we talk about it as something for reluctant readers and for kids, which is super important. Mm -hmm. But as a grown-up reader who reads grown-up stuff, they're also important for grown-ups. Yeah. And there are a ton of really fantastic uh, graphic novels and comics being published for adults that aren't just, like, gritty Batman superhero comics. Mm -hmm. um, some really fantastic moving memoirs. Um, we got an article in the ride-along about a field of comics that focuses on health and medicine um just again such a vast scope of topics and genres um for any and all age groups it's really really impressive yeah so another perfect example of how uh how important graphic novels are to libraries right now is the recent inauguration of the graphic novels and comics roundtable um which was originally a member interest group and recently was made an official roundtable, which is a really big deal. It's the first roundtable um, that's been initiated in a really long time. And they have a ton of energy, a lot of great, great ideas. And uh, they're really sort of like symptomatic of this surge of interest in graphic novels. And it's also worth mentioning that they uh, helped us out a lot with our ride along. A lot of the people who we interviewed are on that roundtable. Um, and you can even learn specifically about how to get involved with the roundtable in the ride along, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And they were great because they come from all different kinds of libraries. Yeah. Um, and have all different perspectives. It was mm -hmm. really nice working with them. Yeah. And they are going to continue to, um, improve the field of graphic novels and libraries. So keep your eyes open, people. <laughs> so if you subscribe to Booklist, you'll get that with your mm -hmm. July issue. We're also giving it away at ALA Annual, which is in just one week now. Yes. Now, we're also destroying the illusion that this podcast will be released immediately after this recording. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, you know, if you're at Annual, stop by our booth. Yeah. We'll have them. We'll have them there. Um, we're also doing a graphic novels panel at Annual. Um, we're going to have, I think, five artists and writers 
on the panel to talk about what they're doing. And then we're going to have like basically a big party in our booth once the panel is over, um, where even more comics creators are going to come to our booth and chit chat and make small talk. And you can say hello to them and tell them how much you love their art. Yay. Mm-hmm. And you can tell Sarah and I how much you love our ride along. <laughs> All right. Anything else to add? Um, I don't think so. Am I forgetting something? No. Um, I'm really excited about it. I hope that this becomes a long-running event that we can really shine the spotlight on graphic novels every July. Uh, the reason we picked July is because that's when the Eisner Awards usually happen. And we thought it would be great when everybody's really excited about comics and graphic novels on a wider scope that we can get really excited talking about them in libraries too. Yay. Cool. Yeah. Well, thanks, Sarah. You're welcome. Bye. And that's it. That's all I got for you, at least for this episode of Shelf Care, the podcast. If you want more, why don't you go ahead and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or whatever the heck you use to listen to podcasts. Show notes for this episode, including all of the titles mentioned, live at booklistonline.com slash shelf hyphen care. Thank you all so much for listening. This is Susan McGuire signing off. Happy reading. Book.